Welcome to the Lion's Tribe. I am Pastor Jimmy Udukoya. I pray this episode blesses you and it reminds you to become the lion that God has called you to be. Be blessed. All right, so it is Ark of the Covenant, part four. This series will end. Now, for those who are joining us, I strongly suggest you uh, listen to part one, part two, part three. And the scripture or the chapter that we were reading was Joshua 3, um, the third chapter. And we picked it up from verse 2. Let me read that quickly and then we'll jump into where we're going today. It says this. So, it was after three days that the officers went through the camp went through the camp and they commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Somebody say, go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it about 2,000 cubits by measure. Your God is very intentional says, do not come near it, that you may know, somebody say no, the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. I'm going to be picking up from that part of the scripture for the last three weeks. We started with one where we're talking about the old is not the new. There was a different dispensation and we just kind of really drill down on that, but I want to focus on the part that says, let the presence go before you that you may know which way you must go, for you have not passed this way before. I wrote down in my notes that it is important to be led by his presence. Why? Because we do not know which way to go. Let's start there for a second. It's it's one thing when you don't know. It's actually worse when you don't know that you don't know. I'll say that again. It's one thing when you don't know. It's another thing when you don't know that you don't know. And God is saying that, listen, it is important. Although you think you are entering a territory that you might know, I need you to know that you do not know which way to go. And once you realize that, it puts you in a place of humility. I'll tell you a story. It was my first day of my MBA class. Uh, My professor came in and, you know, he came in with a very big baseball bat. It was quite big. It was probably about six feet tall. And he dragged it in and he put it up by the projector. This was strategic marketing. And he says, this bat is for anyone who feels like they want to display. I said, sir, you just came in and chose violence. Then he says, um, there's, this, there's a myth that says those who don't know or those who can't do, teach. So let me dispel that myth. Let me show you my resume. And he puts his resume on the board. By 20, he is 25. He has started a company and sold it. He has sold multiple companies twice. He said, you see that M in the McDonald's sign, the yellow? 
yeah, that was my company. You see this, you see that, you see this. By the time he was done with his credentials, we were humble. So, so don't think that the person standing before you has not had life experience. It's not theory. He's done practical and I'm choosing to be here. We're like, wow. Then he says, the great scale in this class is 97 to 100. Ah. He says, everybody, to get an A in this class, 97 to 100. And that is what I expect for everyone to get. I said to myself, first of all, I must get an A in this class. Second of all, if I get an A in this class, I'm a bad guy. Then he says, every time you submit work to me and you put your name on it, this is within the first 10 minutes of class. He says, you are saying to me that this is the sum total of the best that you can do. Everything that you are, your standard of excellence, you are represented by your work. So when you ascribe your name to anything, you are saying, this is the best of me. Ah. He says, so whenever I give you work and you put your name, you are telling me this is the best I can produce. Anything you put your name to is a reflection of who you are. Ah. Well, we just used to write his name. Then he says, project for next week. He has not started teaching. Oh, before that, sorry. He showed off a, a book, a list of books that we were supposed to read for the semester. He said, project for next week. And we're a bit confused. He says, project for next week, your job is to go and build a marketing campaign on local businesses in the area. And your client is the basketball team. And you have to fill up the seats for next week's game. Come up with a a comprehensive marketing proposal and plan and business strategy to be submitted next class. Everybody was a bit confused. Sir, you have not taught us anything. He says, yes, I know that I have not taught you, but I'm asking you to do it so you will fail. And when you fail, it will expose your ignorance and that you will know that you do not know and that you need me in this class. <laughs> so it is what, so we all went from thinking that we knew to realizing very quickly that what we thought we knew we do not know but my testimony is I got an A in that class yeah. but uh, but I, I gave you that story just to elaborate on my point where he says let the art go before you because you do not know which way you should go. Put up Psalm 16 on the board. NKJV, Psalm 16, 8 to 11. I want to show you something. This is David, the psalmist. He's speaking, and he says something very eloquently. He says this, I have set the Lord. What's that word? Sometimes. When I feel like it. When it's convenient. I have set the Lord always before me. Because why? He is at my right hand, and I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest. Somebody say rest. It will rest in what? For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see 
you will show me the path of because in your presence is fullness of and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore David says I have set the Lord before me he did not say I have set the Lord beside me there's a difference I have set the Lord before me not beside me you see one is submission the other is cooperation wait okay before me is submission beside me is let me show you what I mean please come pastor K please come yes he, he didn't know what was happening he's my unofficial um, illustration partner please sir let me show you what I mean okay Pastor K, do me a favor. Just tie this rope around your waist. Okay. Pastor K is like, what's going on? Yes, it's okay. All right. Just around your waist. David says, I have set the Lord before me. Right? Pastor K, you are the Lord. Hmm? Please go before me. Anywhere you want to go, be going. Just go. You can go anywhere. I have set the Lord before me. Before me means I am submitted to... Pastor okay, you can go down, go anywhere, go into the hall, anywhere, feel free. I have no say in where Pastor K will go. My job is to follow the one that is before me. My will is submitted. My path is submitted. My thoughts are submitted. The direction of my life is submitted. I have no business thinking where I will go or where my steps will go because my job is to follow the one that is before me. So when Jesus says, follow me and I will make you, it is not your job to make yourself. Your job is to follow the one that you have set before. Who is before you? Because whoever is before you is leading you. So it's important that you said who? The Lord. And I said when he's before you, this is what? Submission. Thank you, Pastor K. Let's stop. Sir, please come. I said, there's a difference between before me and beside me. Fantastic. Yeah. Then bind us together again around like this. One more. Yeah. Put it around the both of us now. Yeah. Fantastic. I said one is submission. That is before me. And the other is cooperation, which is beside me. Fantastic. Now, Pastor K was before me. Now, Pastor K is beside me. Sir, wait. It's enough. Just tie one. That's because at this point, <laughs> it's like, Ogas oh has been racing, saying, Now nah, I've got you. All this way I've been now, you know, this is an opportunity to get our own back. I can feel the blood circulating. It's not circulating again. I still need to preach. Help me. So one is before me now, he's now 
beside me. One is submission, the other is cooperation. Pastor K, move. Yes. Pastor K, move now. Wait, wait. Which way are we going? We must go this way. But I want to go like this. This is where we should go. Are you sure we should go like this? Do you see that unless we agree, we cannot move? You see, there's a difference. So we must cooperate. One is Romans 8. Those who are led by the Spirit are sons. That's submission. This one, cooperation, Amos 3. Can two walk together? Right? So, if Pastor K is God and he wants us to go left, Pastor say go left. So unless I agree with Pastor K, there's no movement. God wants us to do this. Unless we agree. It now becomes a bargaining. Sir, are you sure you don't want to go right? Sir, but this is what I want to do. This is my will. This is my timeline. This is my goal. This is what I desire. And so well, now we are putting beside us. Rather than us being submitted and he takes the rope. Now it now becomes a negotiation. And we wonder why things are not happening because we are busy cooperating and trying to negotiate when we should be submitted. I'm ready to go. Now, notice how how impeded our movements is. When there was submission, it was easy. Somebody goes, we follow. When he's beside... You see how slow we are. So many times, God wants to do so many things in our lives, but all we have to do is come to a place of submission. Don't think that you should be beside him. Let him be before you because he is the one that knows where he is taking you. Somebody say, I've set the Lord before me. And because he is before me, he is at my right hand. So... Which one is better, submission or cooperation? Thank you very much. God bless you. He says, I have set the Lord before me. And because he's before me, he's at my right hand. I wrote down. You see, a lot of us, we get this wrong. Where we should be practicing submission, we are looking for cooperation. And when I say cooperation, we're expecting God to cooperate with our plans, our will, our goals, our desires, our timelines. Lord, how far? But this is not what we agreed. Sorry, I didn't know there was a conversation. Lord, but this is not what you promised me. You you, you told me that this would happen by this time. Somebody say submission. I wrote down, in his wonderful love and mercy, God has given us the power of choice. But what he's looking for is for us to recognize that he is the one who gives us the ability to choose. He gives us the power of choice. And he wants us to recognize that he is the one that gives us the ability to choose. And because we are aware of the ability to, where we know where the ability comes from, we submit to him. Deuteronomy 30. Let me show you something. Deuteronomy 30, 11 to 20. 
This is God talking to the children of Israel. Deuteronomy 30, 11 to 20. He says this. For this commandment, which I command you today, is not too mysterious for you. Nor is it too far off. Nor is it in heaven. So that you will say, who shall ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us. That we may hear it to do it. Nor is it beyond the sea. That you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us. That we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. Somebody say near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart that you may do it. Now listen to this. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. In that I command you today to do what? Love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgment. So that what? You may live and and turn away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other... Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. So the Lord will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them... I announce to you today that you will surely what? And you shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go into possess. I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursing. Therefore... Choose what? That both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may what? Why? For who is your life? For he is your life. He is your life. And the length of your days, I am setting before you life and death. Choose life, but bear in mind that I am your life. In other words, the life that you have, the life that you live, comes from me. I am the source of your life. But now I'm going to give you a choice to choose between life and death. Choose life, but common sense will tell you, if somebody says, I'm the one that holds the key to your life, choose life. The the common sense thing to do is choose life. But you know us, we get coconut head. We know the hair word. There is a way that seems right to a man. But that path leads to what? Destruction. He says that you may dwell in the land which, is the, which the Lord swore to your fathers and to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them. I wrote down, rather we take the liberty of choice. And where we should be submitted to God and let him lead, we turn this into a negotiation. Where we put God in the position to convince us of our cooperation. <laughs> Shall I read that again? 
Rather, we take the liberty of choice and we, where we should be submitted to God and let him lead. We turn it into a negotiation where we put God in the position to convince us of our cooperation. And we forget that we are not really in a position to negotiate in the first place. You know, they say when two people are negotiating, the, the person who is the strongest is the one at the negotiation table, is the one that has nothing to lose. Right? So if two people come to a negotiation table, the one who has nothing to lose is the stronger person at the negotiation table because the one that has everything to lose is in a position where he needs a negotiation to happen. Right? Which is why, when it comes to God and us, the dynamic, the math is not mathing. Because last I checked... Between God and us, who has something to lose? So based on that equation, the strongest person at the negotiation table is God. If he walks away and says he's not doing again, what happens? Can we call him to the table? Can we impeach him? Can we vote him out? Can we arrest him? Which is why when... God and us start to have these conversations of negotiation. The angels are a bit baffled with this whole scenario. And they begin to ask God, Sir, who is man that you are so mindful of him? Sir, we are looking at this negotiation table. And this thing that you created, that you breathe life into, that you hold the length of your days in your hand. You, you are the one that makes him awake and sleep at your whim. You are the one that controls the whole universe. And yet, he is negotiating with you. And you are sitting at the table. Who is man? That you are so mindful of him. And a lot of times, where we should be led by the Spirit, led by God, we turn submission into negotiation show you something. Jonah 4, 1 to 11. I'm going to read something to you real quick. Jonah 4, a good example of negotiation. Jonah 4, 1 to 11. It says this, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Now we know this, let me give you the backstory. God tells Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah's like, Jonah's like, no, I don't want. He runs to Tarshish. He jumps on a boat. And he's trying to run away from where God has sent him because he said these people are wicked. God should not save them. And then he goes on the boat. God comes, a wind, you know. And people are like, why is this? Jonah says, okay, honestly, um, it's because I'm running away from God. They're like, guy, how far? He's like, guy, I know. They're like, okay, this is my uh, PJ summary. Then they're like, okay, what shall we do? Let's cast lots. They cast lots. And he said, ah, it's this guy. What should we do? He said, please, let's throw. He said, throw me overboard. He said, please, let's throw him so that the blood will not be on our heads. They throw him over. You know the story. A fish comes. A big whale comes. Swallows Jonah. He's in the belly for three days. And then he begins to cry to the Lord. And then the fish takes him. <laughs> it's like, why do we waste time? You know, there have been times in my life when certain things would happen. And I feel like I'm at the crossroad of my life. And there's one side that wants to be like, man, just curse God and be like, man, forget you. Like, nonsense God. Say, you just did me. I'm not doing it again. 
But then I think about it. I say, but wait, if I do that and I walk away, and last, last, I'll still come back. So rather than waste my time and do my own, let me just stay here and just be crying. God, I'm still here. Because at the end of the day, what God's will, what he wants, his will will always prevail. His will and his word will always stand. So, here's Jonah. After running, the fish takes him and vomits him at the shores of Nineveh. All the three days, in the, he didn't need it. Why do we do, why do, we do this? You know, it's funny, we do this to ourselves, then we call God. God said, follow me. He said, wait, I want to do my own. And then what happens? He vomits him on the, on the shore and then he goes to preach to them. And he preaches to them, and he's hoping in his heart that they do not repent. Isn't it? F- but we laugh, but this is what we do. We were saved by grace, but we want to choose who is worthy of receiving the same grace. Uh oh. We want to decide as Christians. Who has the monopoly on who should receive grace? Who is worthy of salvation? This person is too bad. No, they don't. We, they, this, no, this guy is wicked. He should die. Uh-uh. So Jonah preaches and hopes that they perish in their sin. Let them die. Fall down and die. And then he goes to the He goes outside the city. Right? And then this is where we pick it up, Jonah, Jonah 4. It says that, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. The guy was vexed. And he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarsus, for I know you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger. An abundant in loving kindness. One who relents from doing harm. Can we just stop for a second and give God praise? Ah, yeah. For being a gracious and merciful God that is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. Because you know, if I was God, if you were God, all of us would not be here by now. We would have killed each other since. Since, but thank God, God is not us. He says, I know you, you are abundant, you are abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Listen to what he says. Therefore, now, oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he, he might see what would become of in his heart. He was waiting for the damnation and destruction. It's like, again, we'll watch this film live. He picked a nice position to see it, right? And the Lord God, while he was waiting for God to destroy Nineveh, right? The Lord God prepared a plant and made it come over Jonah. That it might be shared for his head to deliver him from his misery. <laughs> ah, God is wise. 
Now, while he was vexed, Jonah was very grateful for the plants. So he was thankful for grace over his head. Isn't it funny we can be praying for grace and be thanking God for mercy, but praying for somebody else's destruction? He says, pray for those who persecute you. He said, if you do good to those who do good to you, there's nothing. For those that do bad to you, then do good to them. Because when you do good to them, see God, it's like heaping coals on their head. Your job is not to vex and to pray for destruction. Kill them with loving kindness. I remember I was talking to one of my drivers and he, he, he grew up a Muslim. And um, I was asking him a question. So how did you become saved? He said he was employed in church before he went to go work with my grandparents. Grandpa, Grandma Williams. And when he employed him in church, he was a Muslim. I said, you were Muslim? He said, yes. I said, oh, and you were still? He said, yeah, I was a Muslim. And I used to pray. I'll find my place to pray. I'm like, that's interesting. I said, so how did you get saved? It was not him being in church. It wasn't him working in church. It wasn't the services. You know what he said? He said, the love your grandparents showed me. He said, I have never experienced that kind of love before. And so when I began to experience the love from them, that's what converted me. He said, if these people are Christians and can show me this kind of love, then I want to be a Christian too. You see, for some of us, I say this all the time, the only Bible that some of people out there will read is the story of your life. They might not come into church, but the Bible says the commandment God gave is love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the next thing, love your neighbor as yourself. How can you say you are one of mine and you have no love inside of you? Jesus says. So while he's over there waiting for damnation and destruction, God gives him what? A plant over his head and he's very grateful. But look, look at this. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. And the worm, so it damaged the plants that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind. And the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished for death for himself and said, it is better for me to die than to live. (laughs) Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it is right for me to be angry even to death. But then the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored. Ayah. Nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left? Hold on a second. God is like, wait. So, you are upset about the plant that you had nothing. There was no contribution. You had nothing you did to make it grow. The grace that you receive, you did not pay for it. The mercy that I give you every morning, it was purchased by my blood. 
I paid for it. And you receive grace every morning. And yet, you think you have a say in who I choose to show mercy on. So when he says, I will show mercy on whom I decide to show mercy to. And I will have compassion on who I choose to show compassion. When you begin to think about it from that perspective, it puts you in a place of humility. But when you realize that, some people have said to me, oh, Pastor Jay, you're so humble. I said, humility is easy when you realize all you have, you've been given. The grace that we receive, the life that we have, the protection that we enjoy, all of it, we have no control over it. So the next time you want to be quick to show somebody judgment, think about the grace that God gives you. Someone said, you don't know what mercy is until you are in need of mercy yourself. It's very quiet in church. So this is what we do. We tell God what we want him to do, the things we want him to do, when we should do it, where he should do it, how we should do it. But we really have no say over anything that happens in our lives. Psalm 16 verse 8, again, I go back to it. It says, I have set the Lord before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. What does it mean to set the Lord before you? It means that I seek his will above my own. Luke twenty-two forty-two says this. Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. To set the Lord before me means I long to please him in all that I do. John 8, 29 says this. And he who sends me is with me. The Father has not left me alone. For I always do the things that please him. You guys are going to have to work with me. I'm going through a lot of scriptures. To set the Lord before me means I love him above all else. Matthew 22, 36 to 37. Matthew 22, 26 to th- um, 36 to 37. It says this. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. To set the Lord before me means I meditate on his word. Psalm 119, 147 to 148. Psalm 119, 147 to 148. It says, I rise before the dawning of the morning and I cry for help. I hope in your word. My eyes are awake through the night watch that I may meditate on your word. To set the law before me means it affects the way that I think. Colossians 3 verse 2. It says this. Colossians 3 verse 2 says, set your mind on things above and not on the things on the earth. To set the law before me means that it will affect the words that I choose. Psalm 19 verse 14 says this. Let the words of my mouth That one is an ever-going exercise when you live in Lagos, Nigeria. You know, 
before it was bad before for me, you know, when I have to say something like, ah, the Lord bless you. Now it's even worse because now that I'm senior pastor, it's on a whole different level. I said, God, you have trapped me. I tell you a true story. I went to pick my son from school and I was getting him out of the car and there was this guy in a big truck and he just pressed the horn, just big, just said, pa! And I looked at him and my carnal self, I just looked at him. I just said, my spirit, oh boy, you're the senior pastor now. You represent the whole of Fountain of Life Church. Yeah, I would say, see your papa. I just looked at him. <laughs> Can I be real? Yes, now. I don't look at him. I said, ah. I just, I just turned very slowly. But I was still looking at him, sir. I was walking away. He now pressed the horn again. Pa! Ah! I put my head down in quietness and confidence. To set the Lord before you always. It affects the words that you use. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Why should I allow God to lead me? Sir, you said submission. Why should I allow God to lead me? That's a very good question. And you know, in life, we, we ask if somebody wanted to come for a job, how do we determine if they're qualified for the position? We check their resume, right? We, we, we check their level of experience to determine if they are qualified to hold that position. True or false? Let's do the same with God. Let's examine God's resume and see if he qualifies for the position of leading your life. Deuteronomy 130 and 33. Deuteronomy 130 and 33. This is what it says. The Lord your God, who goes before you, what does he do? He will fight for you according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. Look at 33. Who went in the way before you to search out, he went in the way before you to set out a place for you to pitch your tents to show you the way you should go in the fire by night and in the cloud by day. So, not only is he a leader because he goes before you, he's also a fighter. Exodus 14, 14 says, the Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Not only is he a leader and a fighter, he's a surveyor. Exodus 3, 8 says, so I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up to the land, a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. So not only is he a leader, he's not only a fighter, he's not only a surveyor, he's a guide. Isaiah 30, 21 says this, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to your right hand or whenever you turn to your left hand. So not only is he a leader, a fighter, a surveyor, a guide, he's also dependable. Deuteronomy 31, it says this, and the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. 
He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear. Do not be dismayed. So by his resume, he is a leader. He is a fighter. He is a surveyor. He is a guide. He is dependable. But last but not least, he is a deliverer. Isaiah 45, 2 says this. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I don't know about you, but I I think based on his resume, he seems to be quite qualified for the job. Psalm 16 verse 8 says this, because he is at my right hand, David says, I shall not be moved. You see, when they talk about the right hand, the right hand signifies the place of authority. Because David says he has set the Lord before him. When you set the Lord before you, he occupies a place of authority in your life. Psalm 1110 verse 1, because of my time, I'm going to be very quick. It says this. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Jeremiah twenty two twenty four. It says this, as I live, says the Lord, though Cornea, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, with the signet on my right hand, that's that word again, I will pluck you off. Showing right is a place of authority. Mark fourteen sixty two says this, Jesus said, I am, and you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the power of and coming of the Father and coming out of the clouds of heaven. Romans 8.34 says this. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also arisen. Who is even at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us. 1 Peter 3.21-22 says this. I know I'm going very fast. I have 42 seconds. It says this, there is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is now at the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. So when I place God before me, when I let him lead me, When I come into the place of submission, I put him in a place of authority over my life. Remember, they said to the children of Israel, the ark must go before you because you do not know which way you should go. You see, Moses understood the importance of being led. He said in Exodus 33, 15, if your presence does not go with us, Ah, do not bring us up from here. Do not bring us up from here. When you make Jesus and you set him before you, when you put him in the place of authority, he becomes the captain of your ship. He becomes the shepherd of your soul. And when you begin to think about the shepherd, that's why we need to be led. And every sheep must have a shepherd. Which is why David says in Psalm 23, the Lord is my 
It's 11.01, so I'm going to stop. Ladies and gentlemen, we are going through life. Life is happening to us all. And the cheat code, should I say the hack, the easiest way to navigate life is to set the Lord before you. He told them, follow me and I will make you. I will make you. Stop trying to make yourself. Stop trying to have negotiation. Stop trying to make a cooperation. If you set him before you, it becomes submission. Wherever you lead, I shall follow. Shepherd of my soul, I give you full control. Wherever you may lead, I will follow. I have made a choice to listen to your voice. Wherever you may lead, I will go. Beloved, that is the hack of life. Because when the Lord becomes your shepherd, you shall not want. Because he is the one that maketh you. He, there he is, the one that maketh you. There is something about him. There is something about his presence that makes you lie down in green pastures. He is the one that knows the green pastures of your life. Stop trying to find the green pastures for yourself. He is the one that leads you to the green pastures. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the blessing of the Lord make it rich and added no sorrow. Don't go trying to look for green pastures. He, the shepherd of your soul, knows where the green pasture is. He leads you beside the still waters. Now let us labor now to enter into rest because that rest has already been provided for us. He leads us beside the still waters. Let us trust completely in the rock of our salvation so he gives us inner peace so that way we might live every day in the rest of the fact that he has the capacity and the ability, the captain of your soul, the shepherd of your life. He is in full control and when you relinquish the reins and you're not busy trying to figure out what comes next, all you have to do is follow He makes the footsteps in the sand. You just put your foot where his footprint is. That's how you navigate life. This week, the Lord bless you. This week, the Lord keep you. This week, the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. In your month of glorious encounter, creative miracles. Doors that have been shut all through the years are open to you. In the name of Jesus, the lines are falling for you in pleasant places. Green pasture shall abound for you in Jesus' name. You are blessed in the city. You are blessed in the field. Your going out is blessed. Your coming in is blessed. Everywhere you sow, the ground must yield for you. It shall yield a hundredfold increase in the name of Jesus. When you cast your nets, your nets shall break. Full with return in the name of Jesus. The Lord shall do exceedingly, abundantly, above what you can ask, think, or imagine. Where you have sown in tears, the Lord is, is restoring in joy. 
in the name of Jesus, everything that you have lost throughout the year, not only will you pursue, you shall overtake and you shall recover all. In the name of Jesus, no evil shall befall you. No plague shall come near your dwelling place. A thousand shall fall at your side and ten thousand by your right hand side. But it shall not come near you. No good things shall the Lord withhold from you this week. In the name of Jesus, he will be the glory and the lifter of your head. When you open up your mouth, the Lord will fill it. Goodness and mercy shall go before you this week. In the name of Jesus, when they see you, they will collide with God's favor. Grace will speak for you. Grace that accelerates. Grace that elevates. Grace that sets apart. Grace that lifts you up. So shall it be in the name of Jesus. This week you will go from glory to glory. You will go from strength to strength. You will go from grace to grace. Before this month is over, your destiny, your, your, your baskets will be full of testimonies. In such a way that only God will take the glory. He shall use your life as a means to testify of his goodness. Your life shall announce his glory. And so shall it be in the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to this episode. I pray that you were blessed. And if you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to subscribe. And if you know a fellow lion that needs to join the tribe, please be sure. Send them this link. Share this episode. God bless you.